Hello and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. And this is Priscilla McKinney here with a modern podcast for the modern entrepreneur. And I have an absolutely illustrious guest today. I'm so excited. I can't think of anyone else who really more eloquently has explained, really put to words for me what has changed in marketing, given me some words to really help my clients over the years understand uh, what what is this marketing soup that we're in. So I have another Canadian on this podcast. He is the president at Miram. This is Mitch Joel. He's going to be talking to us today about where <laughs> the state of marketing, the state of content marketing. I know that's a huge subject, but this is a guy who has written for the Harvard Business Review, Inc. Magazine, HuffPost. I've been following him for a long time on his blog and his podcast, Six Pixels of Separation. It's an awesome book. It's it's one of the foundational ones. Um, I really, I, to me, it was just a different voice at a time. And we're going to be discussing a little bit his newer book, Control, Alt, Delete. But more than anything, I know you're going to love the conversation with Mitch Joel. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm. I am literally uh, just so honored. I, I'm. I'm absolutely going to be. You know, right on the front row. Got my popcorn. I'm just. I'm just interested in what you have to share with us today. So, before we get started. I like to do this little thing on my podcast when I have a guest is um, on one side, there is the platypus with the guitar. And on the other side, there is a duck with a keyboard. And in the middle of this Venn diagram (laughs) is the duck-billed platypus playing the guitar. So I like to give people a little bit of a personal view of you, maybe some kind of a fun fact, something I could not possibly have in common with you. Um, and I think just from the list of all the amazing things that you've accomplished, we, they can see uh, we have a lot of differences here. But tell us something that I don't know about you. Oh, um, I'm well, we just met. So I'm sure there's a lot you don't know about me. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't know from my early days prior to getting started with Twist Image, which is now Miram back in the early 2000s, I actually started a record label and we signed uh, two artists that became very, very successful. One is Alexis on Fire and the other one that's very popular now is City in Color with Dallas Green. So a lot of people don't know that about me. Uh, No, but I do know about your little passion project, your other podcast that maybe a lot of people don't know about. (laughs) So The other one is um, I started this project over two years ago where I'm trying to build the largest oral history of electric bass players. So my platypus would probably play electric bass, not electric guitar. (laughs) I love it. Um, And that's been going on over at NoTrouble.com, which also happens to be one of the largest sort of publishing platforms where bass players congregate. I happen to meet Uh, the founder through uh, Seth Godin actually and connected and decided to do sort of what I do on my six pixels of separation podcast, but more with um, electric bass players. And it's been a real fun project that that has a, a long runway ahead of it. Oh, I love it. So check it out if you're interested in music. And really, you do have an interesting uh, background coming into the marketing world through music and music journalism. But yeah, check that out. It's the No Treble podcast. Is that did I say that right? 
Yeah, it's, it's called Groove. It's at notrouble.com forward slash Groove. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's just a little bonus extra for people who love music. Obviously, what we have in common is, you know, being podcasters, being bloggers. Um, I certainly am not as prolific a blogger, and I think people use that word a lot, throw it around, prolific bloggers. But I think you and Seth Godin probably are at that top of that, <laughs> that list. So we'll leave the two of you up there on the mountain. But I have heard you talk a lot about blogging and just uh, your – you know, that kind of like you you just can't help but do it. It's just, it kind of comes out, you have something and you're ready to birth it, you have to do it. I, I get that. I feel that way about podcasting. It's one of those things I love to do, um, but it shows in in your prolific blogging. I read them and I'm like, how does he come up with such a completely different theme and 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 thought, you know, the very next day? It, it's It's very interesting. So you absolutely have to follow it. Well, I think my fun fact, let's see if you have this in common. I did go to four different high schools in three different countries. Mm, you beat me there. I got you there. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I still live where I was born, so so you beat me there. Uh-huh. Now, how is it um, as a, a Canadian um, right now um, in terms of the fact that now we're all jealous and would like to move there? How are you dealing with that? I'm surprised it took you all so long to figure that out. (laughs) You guys uh, are awesome on a different level. (laughs) Canada is a great place to live. Uh, You know, it it has a great quality of life. Mm -hmm. It has all the amenities of North America. You know, some some of my more well-known American-speaking friends say that, you know, yeah, Canada, aren't you like the cowboy hat of the U.S. sort of jokingly? And I think Mm -hmm. that that's actually a compliment because we have – you know, pretty much the same stuff, but we also have the European flair. And in particular, where I live in Montreal, there's also the French language. And mm. so it's re- to me, it's really romantic and beautiful to live in a city that is so European, but has everything that North America has to offer. And I do travel a lot. So I like being at a place where I'm, you know, six hours to the West Coast, six hours to, to London or France, uh, you know, an hour to New York, Chicago, Boston. Uh, I just, I find it very, very convenient, very, very central and um, very safe to be honest. I I like the safety of the city. Yeah. Well, having grown up in Europe, let me tell you, I would love to have like a North American feel coupled with the European things that I miss. (laughs) So I'm super jealous of you. Um, You know, I I have so many questions. um, And I know that my audience has... um, it really grapples with some of the ideas that I think you are really a forerunner with in thought leadership. So let's dive into it, if you if you don't mind. Can we do that? Yeah, please. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know that you know here here you stand. You're really a thought leader in the agency and marketing world. There are no end of very large Fortune 100 companies who call you to come in and discuss what's going on in digital marketing, what's going on truly in 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 marketing that is what is working and what is broken. Um, And I think that the thing that I connect with you about the most is the way you're able to describe how the consumer is now in the driver's seat. Can you help my listeners understand what you mean by that? And really, what are some of the nuances about what has changed? I think a lot has changed just in the construct of that sentence. I feel like when I first started writing about this stuff really publicly, which probably dates back to the early blog posts that I was putting out on six pixels of separation. So mm-hmm. going back to 2003, mm-hmm. I I really was taken by the Clue Train manifesto. I was very taken by the earlier work of Seth Godin and mm-hmm. Tom Peters. Um, and I just sort of felt like there was this shifting tides where this, you know, 
this, this sort of idea of Kutri Manifesto, the markets are conversations, that these sort of marketplaces where people can connect and share and it's public and it's accessible and it's all databased and archived in a place called Google, that it would change the dynamic in a very positive way about how consumers connect to brands. And that's always been my thing. So even earlier you were saying, oh, you know, the connection between music writing and music journalism and where you are now. And I always, I get how people might think that, but I actually look back and go, I was in the media and I was doing advertising and I had the internet happening at the same time. And to me, that sort of shift seems very natural and organic. It doesn't even seem that sort of far of a, of, of a jump for me. And I think that, that I, that idea was always about this this thing. And for me, the thing was the ability to have real interactions between real human beings, that you wouldn't have these cold, isolated organizations where any complaint or issue would be sort of filed in an executive's you know bottom drawer of a filing cabinet, never to be seen and discussed it. And the openness and the connectedness of this world, it would create a new type of market, a new type of marketplace. And that to me was super exciting because as much as I loved advertising, I really did love the journalism side, which was more op-ed or editorial where you would really say what was going on. What's that record really like? What's that artist really like versus this sort of glam shot and buy it now type of thing. And I think the the biggest sort of transition we're seeing now and the nuances of it is that it's less about that as it was, I think, in the early days of the 2000s. And to me, what it's more about now is I feel like we've hit this inflection point. And the inflection point that I talk about when I speak in public is this idea that technology has removed technology from technology, that there's been a complete simplicity of it. There's no instruction manual for your smartphone or your tablet anymore. And the evolution of the software that sits on top of that has even pushed that further. So literally you can go on Tinder and swipe right and find someone to mate with in a couple seconds. On the other side, you can go to your favorite brand in the world and look at what's going on in their mobile experience and be very frustrated by pinching it and hitting buttons and your, you know, your fingers are too big, so it knocks <laughs> it over somewhere else and it doesn't work and you get frustrated and the information you want isn't there, but when you go on the website, it's on the website, well, why isn't it on the mobile? And it, it's that nuanced thing where I feel consumers now are moving and adopting to things in sort of a small, nuanced, fast, quick way, but brands and businesses look at it as these massive things. They'll call it business transformation, marketing innovation, these things that just sound like, how are we ever going to do this? But if you really look at this consumer, they're literally just swiping right. And to me, that's that's the nuance, the way that it shifted from 2000, 2003 to 2017. Well, I I totally agree about the shift. What I hear you talk a lot about, and I'd love to hear you expound more about why this dichotomy, though? Why, as people... Are we experiencing this in our own lives? You know, we go home, we we use our phone, we use, you know, we use our technology this way and love it to be seamless. And the, like, I love how you said it, the technology without the technology. And yet when we come into work at an agency, it's like that mindset goes away. What What is that dichotomy? Because at home, you didn't invest 
a million and a half dollars <laughs> over the past five years on a website and you didn't invest $300,000 in a CRM platform and five full-time people to develop it and blah, 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 where you have legacy, you have infrastructure, you have data sets that are now put inside this running engine that isn't just so easy to say, well, drop that e-newsletter marketing program and get the new one because now it's cloud-based and it's you know $10 a month instead of all this infrastructure. And you look at it and you think, well, I do have a PNL, I do have an Excel file sheet where I'm managing my finances and this is technology that I've been writing down over multiple years that we've invested in, that we have training in and to sort of start all over just because of that sort of fast and nuanced way consumers have been adapting to technology doesn't always make sense. And that puts you very much behind the eight ball is one reason. The other reason is we tend to believe the data without really looking at the plot, what's happening in the landscape. And so, uh, you know, a quick example of that is we work with very large organizations, very large national, multinational brands, usually very complex stuff, usually highly regulated. Mm -hmm. One of them happens to be in pharma. And we were doing some strategy years ago for, uh, for, for a large pharma. And their whole argument was doctors just aren't doing this. And mobile, they, we don't see the mobile adoption in any of the research we have. They don't have any of the tools they don't have. They don't have. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Because they close their clinic and they get in their car and they drive until they can find a payphone. And then when they find the payphone, they find the quarter and they put in the payphone and they call their travel agent because they need to book that trip to the next conference that they're going to. And the truck, like, it's ridiculous. I mean, wow. of course that doesn't happen. The fact that they don't, maybe don't have those tools and how they operate in, in their day-to-day work might be a huge opportunity for you mm-hmm. rather than it being the limitation. But to say doctors don't have but doctors don't, they're not mobile. They're not, I mean, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. And we'll say that even about our own, you know, our, you know, our consumers are, are, are moms and, you know, moms are busy and I'm like, moms live and breathe on their smart. There's nothing saying otherwise. And so you can sell yourself that narrative based off of research you purchased or research you might've done with your, with your staff. But the, the fact is, is that people who are responding to that research don't often think about how, how much they are, they, this technology has been pervasive in their lives and they just don't realize it and they don't make the connection. And to me, it's, it's a no brainer. I like, I sort of just roll my eyes at it. And right. I, you know, more often than not, I tell people like, I'm really not in the convincing business anymore. It used to be, I'd sit across the table from brands or businesses as an agency and be like, you know, they'd be like, tell me why we need a website. Tell me why we need social. Tell me why we need digital. Tell me. And I, I just got to the point and, and, and fortunately in terms of the growth of the agency and all that happened to us, that I, we really shifted our positioning to brands that understand they need this, brands that feel that they need to really leap from where they are to where they need to be, and that those are the people we're going to have the meetings with. So even when I speak now, I, I'm not, I used to very much be in the convincing business. Digital is going to be really important, everyone. Pay attention, pay attention to social, pay attention to I don't really do that anymore. I'm more like, here's what's happening. Here's what consumers are doing. Here's how they're connecting to brands and businesses. I don't think it's happening here in this organization. You should take a look at where it's happening in other spaces and figure out how to do it yourselves. Well, I think there's something a little bit akin to that. Like, for example, I see in the way that you blog um, and the way you interact in the world, you are, could I say, a lover of the long format. And I have a lot of people who talk about, like, how long something should be. You know, in this digital world, um, I can't write a long blog post. I can't this. I can't that. You know, there's all these interesting limitations. 
And I like to come back and tell people, you know, you don't have to write something any length. You have to write something that's interesting and something that's helpful. <laughs> and so kind of taking those, those you know, trends that people are seeing, I love that. I, I would love the life where I, you know, don't have to convince people. But I do think that you live what you're saying is you do things that are guided by different principles, which are guided by what people are really doing, looking at the behaviors, looking at, um, you know, how we interact it, it just as our in ourselves as humans and bringing that really that truth into your marketing job, uh, understanding that. It, do, you, do you think that's why you've kind of stuck with long format? Is that a little piece of it? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm very much in the do as I say, not as I do world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I w- you know, if you said to me what really works today, I would say image-based photos, videos, mobile first. It has to really feel that way on the mobile device and that sort of intuitiveness of how people move through stuff very, very quickly. It needs to have a social layer about it. For me, social just simply means whatever it is that's in front of the consumer, you're making it as easy as possible for them to talk about it, share it, um, express it, whatever it might be. Uh, my content runs in diametric opposition to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I have an unfair advantage, and the only unfair advantage I have is time, and I'm not sure how much longer that'll be a sustainable competitive advantage. It's just simply the fact that I started you know, writing on this blog every day back in 2003, and I started doing my long-form audio podcast in 2006. I mean, it's over a decade on the podcast every Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's the fifth, what is it, 10, 15 years almost on, on the blog. <laughs> uh, it sounds ridiculous even when it, the words come out of my mouth. And, you know, I don't ever look at analytics. I don't know how many downloads I have. I don't know who reads what. I have zero idea. And I'm not saying that from an egotistical or gratuitous way. I just don't look at my content in the same way other people analyze it. I write because it's the primary thing that I like to do after I've consumed a lot of things. I feel like I need to get it out in some form of writing. It's just the way I operate. Mm-hmm. The conversations that I have weekly are just a very, very selfish act where I'm looking for an excuse to pin down people whose books I've read or whose thinking I really admire. And I want to sort of poke at that. And, and the only way that they would ever allow me to have an hour of their time is, I guess, if I recorded it and publish it. And again, I'm lucky that it's, it's grown over the years and it's had, you know, people who enjoy it. It's also who I am, which I think is the biggest problem that brands face. I, I'm a writer. I, I'm a conversationalist. It's what I get the most activity from for me. I think a lot of brands look at it and go, we need to do video, but there's really nobody there who is video. It's not what they do. It's not what they love. It's not what the brand embodies. I feel that I'm lucky because I've got that and I enjoy it and it comes from who I am and what I've been doing since I was in my early teens to a brand that has to figure out how do we do this? How do we build content? How do we build a platform? It's so different for them. So I always say it's do as I say, not as I do, because I would never recommend this strategy to anybody. Just do like, you know, yeah, do an hour of conversation every week and don't worry, people will like it. It's like, it sounds insane. Well, you brought up a major point that I, you know, I was thinking of going to at the end of this conversation, but let's get into it right here. And I'll kind of circle back around to a few direct questions about, you know, some of the thoughts I've seen, the thought leadership you've put out there. But, you know, you touched on this, you know, my world 
I know you don't know my world, so let me explain that my world is where I have to build that initial platform for clients. And you have a beautiful, established marketing platform. And so for me, there are a lot of pains coming into a client, and I have to tell them to do things very differently when you are first building a digital presence. It is very, very different what you would have them do. And, you know, talking with where your world is, where you're really, you know, being called in to flesh out complex strategies with companies who already have a digital platform. Do you think that's a fair analysis of of what you do day in and day out? Again, I'm not I'm not sure if if it's sort of if you're able to sort of compartmentalize it and and look at it that way. The the reverse of that would be like if I were in in your shoes, I actually recently wrote an article about this. I called it my content marketing center of excellence or something like that. And basically the idea was is like just like simplify it so you know where your focus is. Like I know like my whole thing is it's I call it a triangle bullseye. So the triangle are the sort of three areas that I that, that are my specialty and how they work together. For me, it happens to be consumers, brands, and technology. Those are the three sort of things that I'm always looking at. And the bullseye in the middle of that triangle is it has to have a focus with a marketing slant to it because that's my my sort of bullseye. Mm-hmm. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, like I have five. I'm like, well, make it three. I have five. Well, you're not really understanding the exercise, are we? You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and then the other side of that is, is what's the what is the output of that? And for me, you know, as we already discussed, it's text and audio primarily long form. So I So like I so I have like I and I, I just sort of toss it over to you. Not like but that's the the effort, right? The effort is in somebody being able to define that triangle and the bullseye, the format that they're most comfortable with that they would never tire producing content within long form, short form text, images, audio, video, what's the mix? For some it might not be even text and audio, it might just be one. Right. And then from there it's having the persistence. Um, there's this band called heavy metal band called Anthrax and they had a great album called The Persistence of Time. <laughs> and I always think like this is the persistence of time because it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be, you're going to write one thing. One thing might go viral, but I tell people, you know, yeah, I publish every day. I get it. It's a ton of content, but the vast majority of it is, is something I call, you know, digital tumbleweeds and, and virtual dust. That's just like nothing. No one cares. Nobody, the one or two that pop, I don't rely on. I don't look at those and go, well, that's, I got to write more of that. That's, it's my thing. To me, it's more about creating gateways for people to connect to the brand of Miram, to the brand of six pixels of separation. Uh, and then also in a way in which there they're hopefully is that legacy where people like you, I've never met are like, oh my God, I've been following you forever and I love your son. <laughs> who knows, maybe that'll lead to a, a business referral or somebody will hear this and go, oh, I actually am about to become the head of marketing at a big organization. We could probably use them. So it, it's that type of thing. But it's not like advertising. Like if you were like, I need to get this going now, I'd be like, advertise, just advertise. Mm-hmm. Build a great email list. Do some great pay-per-click on Google. Do some hyper-smart targeting with Facebook. Maybe leverage some LinkedIn. If mm-hmm. you've got some leftover spend, you know, do some general advertising in sites and environments that make sense to you. Maybe create content if you're going to, but have it be more native advertising driven because all you really want is more attention today. That's a different model than what I'm trying to do. Right. And so in that, the clients, you know, typically do want something that is overnight. And you mentioned that content marketing is not overnight. What are some of the, the typical conversations? How do you how do you have those conversations with your your customers who 
are really looking, they say they think they have their advertising model down, they've got this thing good, and they're ready to really move into a more long-term organic, um, even native, really go into that um, that content marketing world. Um, now that content marketing is no longer this unique thing out there, what would you say to them now? If at the very beginning of content marketing, it was not happening for people overnight, well, it even more so now is not happening overnight. So how, how what do you see that difference of, you know, several years ago in content marketing as, as opposed to people starting in that now? Well, it's very different. I mean, I, I do think that you have a, a very, very heavy balance of, of paid of paying to get this content out there, literally paying to boost it, promote it, have it be out there with the sustainability and desire to figure out what the end game is. I mean, I, when, whenever I'm asked that question, I often think of my friend Marcus Sheridan, sales lion, and he's got this brand new book out called They Ask You Answer. And I think that his model is the one you have to go with. I, I think I would say, and I, I believe he would agree that there are certain verticals that it's more challenging to do that in mm-hmm. just because they've been so saturated and it's just so expensive to buy your way into it. And if that's the case, maybe the ideology has to be reversed of the triangle bullseye and what are you good at and just going where the white space is. And you're like, look, I'm not maybe great at video, but let's face it, nobody is doing this for B2B, you know, side panels or I don't know what on Snapchat <laughs> on Snapchat and I'm going to be that person on Snapchat and it's it, again that runs possibly counterintuitive to how I really think but I understand it in an area of tremendous white space mm-hmm. I look at you know I look at the massive success of a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk who I've known you know basically when he started off doing his little wine blogs and how how mm-hmm. or vlogs and how popular he became and I, I know a lot of people you know, will take shots at him. I, and I'm very candid about it. I'm super jealous. I think anybody who has an agency <laughs> would love to be in a place where you're suddenly on a reality show for Apple with Gwyneth Paltrow, Will right. I Am, and, and, you know, Jessica Beale or whoever else is the other person. And you've got, you got an agency that's generating a hundred million, you know, a year in fees and all that. And, but I do, I, I look at what he did and I feel like he's amazing because the technology caught up to him. You know what I mean? Like right. he was a guy who was like is so good and comfortable with the lav clipped on all the time. People following with phones and video cameras and everything that pops out of his mind becomes something that you can post, you know, turn to an image and post <laughs> to Instagram. And we can laugh at that, but it's amazing that there's a it you is. know a, per- person, a personality like that where really the technology of what we're saying is really happening now totally caught up. Like Snapchat is the the most amazing platform for this guy. Instagram is the most amazing platform for this guy. And again, I always say I'm jealous because. I'm living in a world of long form text and articles. You know, it's like people mm-hmm. don't intuitively want to read. They want to see. They want to see a picture. They want to see a video. They want to listen on audio. They want to, you know, they, the last thing they want is text. Text became popular because it was the easiest thing for the technology to l- deliver on, right? Blogs came out first, online journals, because that's all we could do. We couldn't even upload an image. We couldn't really upload audio. We couldn't really do video. And as each media got better and better and more sophisticated and able to come online through broad, broadband and connectivity, it created the platform for these other people to come in. And, and so again, you have to be able to look at that and go, is that model that Gary you know, is so powerful in, can that work for me? Can I, is the, am I comfortable? And you have to be comfortable with it. 
like for me, I'm always like, oh, I don't have a face for video. You know, it's like not my thing. Like I don't, it, it's just not the area I feel most comfortable in. If I had to, I probably would. And so again, my, the sort of, the line in the middle has to be somewhere between why am I doing this? And again, I, I don't necessarily know that the content I'm creating is done as a way to drive direct revenue or new client acquisition for Miram so much as it is as establishing a platform by which we could point to and go, this is how we think. And mm-hmm. I do believe that how we publish how we think is what makes it unique in a world where, look, candidly, you could take thousand digital marketing agencies and throw all of the websites in the air with all of the logos in the air. And wherever the logos land, you'd probably read the website and go, yeah, it's about right still, <laughs> right? Because we all, you know, we build websites, we do social media, we do, I mean, you go right. on and on. And so that uniqueness, I feel, comes through in a voice. Everybody, you know, all musicians write songs. What makes the song unique to you is the genre and the way the voice and the art comes out. And so I just feel fortunate that somebody like Seth Godin came along long before me and said, your work matters. Your work is your art. Don't diminish the value of the content you put out. Don't just toss it out there. Focus on it like you would as an artist or as a craft. And I really attached onto that because I didn't want to say it because it feels so pompous, but I did, I did feel it. Like when I approach the keyboard or I approach a conversation, I do approach it with that feeling of I'm taking this seriously and I don't want to waste your time. If you're going to spend an hour listening to a conversation that I had with Seth or with somebody else, I want to make sure that that hour was hyper valuable to you. I want to make sure that if you spend five minutes reading my article on Medium or LinkedIn or Facebook or on Six Pixels of Separation, that you actually finish it and go, whether it was for you or not, your attitude is, I can do something with this. I've seen a problem in my life, in in my client's life, where this will be a valuable piece of nugget that I can sort of, you know, keep in my back pocket. That's all it's about for me. Well, you bring up a couple of music references, and I got to say, I I I love your long format, first of all, and um, and <laughs> I am such a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. So for me to praise someone's writing, I'm just telling you, that's I, I see that you love the craft. But you know, this is the thing. What's interesting? You talk about blogging. These are the things you must say, and so you're putting them out there. Really, you're kind of thinking in how you're writing. It, it, I I I hear you saying that this is how you think through all the things that have been thrown at you and then come back and put them back in order. And that is the very bottom of the the basis. But I feel like by you blogging and in that long format and, and in having those really key conversations where, you know, you agree, hey, this is selfish. I love having this. Believe me, this whole podcast right here is super selfish of me. is just, a, you know, an absolute privilege. But I feel that what you're doing is tuning the guitar. You know, you get up to, you know, to sing and, you know, and, you know, you just can't sit through a set of someone who didn't bother to tune the guitar before they started into this long set. And that's what I see out in content marketing so much. It's like, why do this if you weren't even going to tune? And, you know, I see Yeah, but, you know, there's another, like, I I actually studied music at a post-secondary level, but bass, believe it or not. And some people say, are you a bass player? I know how to play bass. I'm not a bass player. Wait, wait, wait. uh, I I have a bass player joke. I, I, I'm sure you do. Who okay. doesn't? Go ahead. What, what do you call a bass player with no girlfriend? Tell me. A drummer? Ho- homeless. Okay. <laughs> Come yeah, on. I've, I've, I've heard it. it. I've heard oh, it before. Oh, darn it. Darn it. Sorry. That, that's why I'm not a bass player. I but, digress. So, I digress. Let me go back. So I was once walking downtown with a buddy of mine who was also in the same music program as I am. And we walked by this you know, poor person, homeless person sitting there. I'm sure you've all seen someone like this. There's sort of 
blowing randomly into a harmonica with like a decrepit coffee cup in front of them just mm -hmm. looking for change. And I just sort of keep walking. It's not like we had any money back then. We were poor musician students. And uh, he said to me, you know, what did you think of that guy's playing? And I sort of just went like, yeah, give me a break. Like, can't keep walking. He goes, no, seriously. He goes, that guy, for all we know, could be a genius. And I was like, what, yeah, what do you – but I got what he meant. And what he meant to say was that even if the person has no clue what they're doing, they're mm -hmm. playing without a tuned guitar, they might just do something really cool that somebody who was a master musician might go, now that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Whether it was something in how they struck the chord or held the instrument or phrasing or just in a note that came out. And it, it actually is one of those few stories you retain from that time of your life where I, I always looked – at people like that. I mean, I look at people who are, you know, they're train wrecks when they start off on their content. It's a complete <laughs> disaster. But they'll say or do one or two things where like you can sort of see there was a germ of something there and hopefully soon over time, they'll be able to hone in on, you know, is that running too long? Was that too self-involved? Is that an angle I like? What, what is it? And I, I like that and I don't want to stifle that because I find that if we get too formulaic about things, mm -hmm. this is right, this is wrong, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, um, it, it does create a world where creativity dies. And so I'm very temperamental about things like that because we don't know. There are people who have written best-selling books who don't read books who can hardly spell. Mm -hmm. And they've sold way more books than I have and on and on and on. And it's not for me to go, well, if you're going to write a business book, you should be a, a writer and you should. I have my own perspective that I bring to it. And to be candid, maybe that's what's holding me back. I, mean, mm -hmm. I don't know in terms of that level of success that some of some of my peers have had. So I, I'm, I'm also you, you know, really sort of cognizant Mm -hmm. of of being careful of you know running out of the i think one of the cool things is you can sort of you can test and learn a lot more easily than ever before you know blog crappy for like a year and then be like oh i didn't realize until i did this little thing over here that that's what turned it for me and it, you can read a million things to people who are successful this is like a tim ferris who who will will talk about those moments in time when he realized oh i switched to doing this and suddenly that's what people wanted and i had no clue but that is totally in line with where i was going anyways and that alignment is what makes it unique and click. So you're okay with kind of the experimental uh, aspect of of content creation. And I kind of, you know, would put that in Guy Kawasaki. One of my favorite quotes by him is that social media is God's gift to entrepreneurs. It's like, it's your chance to get directly to the consumer at very low cost and test something out. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I mean, I think the barrier to entry of success is just a lot yes. harder. You know, like you, I, I feel like I had a lot of time to practice, if you know what I mean. I don't feel right. like if you're a brand today, I mean, I listen, I, I don't think I would have any platform if I started today. I mean, I think I'd be who would who'd follow anybody or care about someone like me. And I'm not saying that to be, you know, self-deprecating. It's just really hard mm -hmm. because – how do you access an audience in a world where you basically have to pay for it now? Right. So it's, re it's really, really different now. And I don't try and diminish that either. I love the experimentation. I love it. I just think you have to know that going into it, it's, you can't look at someone who's done it and be like, well, why hasn't that happened to me? It's a different time and place now. Right. Okay. You hit the nail on the head with that. So I am curious to get a little vignette and a look in your life. I hear you say it's a little bit more about the art than the science, but yet you live in a world where the people who are calling you in want data and they want, you know, 
ROI <laughs> and they want, you know, they want processes too. They want, you know, they, they, you have certain deliverables as an agency that you've got to give them. So what does that conversation sound like to them when they're really saying, no, we want the science of marketing and you're saying, yeah, but it, it also is an art. I'm not saying that. I mean, I, I, I thankfully don't really have those conversations here. I have an amazing team of 2,400 people, you know, in 20 <laughs> different countries who are yeah. way smarter and understand and are able to give clients the results they need. And we have an amazing strategy leadership team, an amazing strategy team that does have these tools these applications, these processes, these this center of excellence around mm-hmm. how do you balance it, what's right. You know, B2B is not the same as B2C. Small, medium, large is different. Everyone has different needs. You know, somebody might be using an email blast because they want to just, you know, pimp out a sale. Others might be using it as a way to retain customers. So that's the other beautiful side of digital is it allows you to really customize it. I think our strategy department is amazing and they're super engaged and they're, you know, I think really, really powerful because of their ability to get down into that mm-hmm. and create a path that's going to get the client there with the metrics, ROIs, tools, technologies, frequencies, et cetera, et cetera, research data that they need to get them across that finish line. Right. I'm talking about it more from the perspective of my personal approach to it because my approach isn't just content. I speak 40 to 50 times a year. I publish books. I get to be in the media quite a bit. I So it, it's not that the one thing is the one thing. The one thing has led to, you know, a, a, a very, very in, interesting platform that, that, that generates a lot of revenue as well. Mm-hmm. And that's very unique in the agency business. You know, people give away the thought leadership. We don't. We have instances where we do, but, you know, I get paid to speak. Uh, we get paid to, to do media. We get paid to write books. We get all, and that creates a huge offset in the business development cost. Mm-hmm. And that creates an awesome gateway and a platform that other agencies can't compete with. I mean, I'm more often than not in a room, whether it's for an association or a private corporation, where I am the only outsider there and their agency partners are not invited. And, you know, they're paying me to be there and it's a lot of fun and I'm not shilling for Miram at all, but the stuff that I'm saying typically does have them inquire about, is there a way we could work together? Right. And I mean, it's been a great run of business development. It's not a direct response channel, but that platform in and of itself is its own world that I wouldn't say, do this if you're brand XYZ, do this if you're agency XYZ, you need to really look at yourself, look at what you're trying to accomplish, look at what your sales goals are, how you're trying to get there. What is the quickest path to that? It's not always content. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because I feel like that is a breath of fresh air in this world where people are looking back and saying, oh, this company was successful this way. Let's do exactly what they did. And that's just not going to work. <laughs> it's not, you know, you can't just go superimpose, you know, someone else's, even if it's a great process, you can't, you know, you can't superimpose it. And actually, it's really why I love about the way that you write, because I feel like so many business books out there are always just saying, okay, so here are the five steps and let's just do these. And those things just, you know, those come up empty. You know, it's funny you you mentioned Gary V, but um, I, you know, I see a lot of similarities with you guys. Um, the first one that screams out at me is just you guys have 
both been at the front of tech. You know, if you think about way back when, when it was just pages and not really websites and things you were doing there to post articles. And, you know, Gary was the same way, saw that technology coming. I, I will say you drop fewer F-bombs than Gary does. <laughs> so yeah. I, 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 look, I, I remember sitting backstage with Gary at speaking events and him telling me about the early days of VaynerMedia and what he wanted to do. And I was really already neck deep in the business. And I said, you know, the biggest challenge you're going to face here is are you able to do what you did for yourself for a brand and an organization? Oh my gosh. And, and so many people, in fact, I'll be very candid with you. Almost nobody has been able to do it except for him. It's such mm-hmm. an impressive thing that he should be so proud of because I really, you know, it's a, you know, it's almost, is it easy to get a million followers on Twitter? Probably easier than it is to get it for someone else, you know, right. especially a brand or a business. And he's done such an amazing job at it. So the difference is just time. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was working in the family business in the wine shop, I was really on my own at the agency, which started in 2002 for me with my business partner. So it's just, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, my jokes that, yeah, I just, I got in a lot earlier. He just happened to lap me several times over a lot faster. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I do see you both as real truth tellers. You know, I, I do feel like you both have that mindset of let's cut let's cut the crap, people. Let's get to the bottom of this. Why are you doing this? And that, you know, having that constantly at the forefront, as opposed to just getting so bogged down with, you know, you know, the, you know, these systems that we have to be married to. And, you know, that's, that's not our, uh, the world anymore. Marketing world, it has to be so much more flexible and so agile. But I, I love it. I see a lot of similarities. So um, obviously, very different personalities, but I appreciate the the ability to just really tell the truth about what we're doing as agencies. It's important, I think. Um, so I can I ask three quick questions about um, Control-Alt-Delete? I don't want to get um, too far into it because people need to read this book. It, 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 it Even though it's not, the, you know, been written super recently, it to me still has such a foundational understanding of what has to change, how you have to reboot your thinking in marketing. Do you mind if I just ask you a couple questions, kind of shoot real quick on them? I hope I remember booking out in 2013. Let's see what happens. <laughs> well, I, you know, I first read it in 2015. And uh, then as I was keynoting this last year, I realized a lot of people did not come to the conversation with this mindset that things had changed and that the consumer was in the driver's seat. And so it made me go back and revisit it because I thought, what am I, how is it that I'm still talking to audiences that don't get that, that are on the same page with me? And I find it helpful just to tell people, listen, go, go read Control, I'll delete, come back, come back to this keynote later. (laughs) And my kids do too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had me at the intro. I will tell you that there were a few tears, you know, coming down my eyes when I had that. But um, so you talk a little bit about um, kind of rebooting and changing your thought about uh, directly relating to the to the client. Seth Godin talks about the removal of gatekeepers um, and that now, you know, I mentioned Guy Kawasaki about us being able to get directly to the the client. You know, so people can reach their end user, their direct client without the mystical, magical, you know, man behind the curtain, big media buys. But what is the block? Why Why do people, even though you can reach them, what do you think is the biggest thing that stumbles them from actually really talking directly to the to the consumer time energy effort and a lack of how to do that you know for the vast majority of businesses they actually 
you know, produce something. They produce a service, they sell it to another organization, and that organization might sell it more directly to an individual customer. Um, I also think there's this sort of social contract that exists in the business world that, you know, sort of precludes that real interaction between real human beings. But I do feel in the past close to two decades now, it's become more commonplace that the more human and the more connected and the more real speak you do and have, the more appreciative consumers are. And I've always been somebody who tried to push very, very hard against, you know, jargon slash advertising like talking, mm-hmm. you know, press release like talking. So I just think the pushback is, you know, we sort of get dressed up for work and it's not the same clothes we wear on the weekend. And we feel like there's this sort of weird persona or thing we have to be to do it right. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm hopeful that, you know, through the proliferation of Silicon Valley and other areas that that's been somewhat dismantled. You think about, you know, Zuckerberg and his hoodie and flip-flops in the early days, <laughs> and you think, well, maybe maybe the world is pushing us in another direction. So I think it's just that. It's the, it's the I mean, I, look, how, how long ago was it that we were talking about, well, maybe you should have a private page for your friends and a, and a, and a you know, and, and a more public page for your, for your business life? Right. Should I have, should I have two Facebook pages? Should I have two different types of blogs? Like, how do I manage my work life? And, and I think that though that thing we're seeing sort of melt a little bit away. And I think that that's healthy. I really do. Right. Well, you also talk about, uh, you mentioned before that, you know, you're, even your podcast, you're talking with someone and you're doing it because it's of interest to you and you're being motivated by, hey, this is interesting to me. So therefore it might be interesting or helpful to other people. Tell me a little bit about that, um, the conversion from what I refer to as kind of Zig Ziglar world of always be selling, you know, that, that, that old school, you know, approach to, um, you know, kind of used car salesmen, you know, <laughs> attacking people to what, you know, we've heard a lot about, you know, now the ABCs of selling now being ABH, always be helpful. Where do the tools and the helpfulness come into play in the content? Well, for me, everywhere. I think if you're not being helpful, creating something of value, you know, I talk about utilitarianism marketing. I think Jay Bear named it better when he called it utility Y-O-U. So kudos to him for (laughs) for getting it smarter than I got it. then you're doing advertising or public relations. So to me, it's just the it's the other way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I, you know, always be selling. I'm always selling. I mean, I'm definitely selling the idea of thinking about Miram as your digital marketing partner, thinking about Mitch Joel to speak at your event, which hopefully will lead to Miram being your digital marketing. I mean, everything, all roads do lead to that. It's mm-hmm. somewhat surprising people to hear that because they sort of think that there's this divisive line between the content I create or the reason I create it, and it's not. I mean, you know, the truth is if I were just really creating at a pure, like, what's my desire, I think you'd see posts about magicians and comedians and musicians a lot more than, <laughs> than you probably do and posts about that as well or, or posts about writing and the challenges of that. So I tend to keep I tend to keep it in that triangle bullseye model. Right. And and that exists. That 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 world exists because that is ultimately the output of what Miram does. Mm. It helps brands connect to their consumers primarily with technology and marketing is a channel by which we do it. I mean 
again, it sounds like a sort of toss win. Well, anybody can say that. You're right. Anybody can say, I'm going to play a song on a guitar. But there's a massive difference between Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of inspire me there in a moment because just as you were talking, I kind of reflected on that. I remember several years ago writing an article that was, I entitled, Very Pinteresting. And it was about my own reflection that, you know, here I'm at home, you know, trying to uh, do Elf on the Shelf, you know, through the holidays. I, do you have Elf on the Shelf in Canada? Totally, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm writing basically this backstory for this, you know, elf and these are his friends. But, you know, these, you know, he plays with these toys and this is what's going on in his day. And I, it made me reflect on, you know, how clients were coming to us and saying, well, how should we be on on Pinterest? And how, you know, how is this uh, relevant? You know, and it, it it's interesting because it came from inspiration. I felt that there was something that was happening in my own life. And as, as I dealt with it and put it all together, it was very interesting, but it also helped people grapple with the idea of why should I be on Pinterest? And just hearing you say that kind of inspired me to go, yeah, that, that that's that we need to stay in that that frame of mind where we don't toss certain ideas out just because they don't seem like they relate. If they relate in the way that it's helpful to our end user to understand why they should or shouldn't do things or how they should go about doing them, then we should write it by all means, especially if it's more inspired. And there is a lack of some of the fun and funny out there as well. <laughs> yeah, well, here's my last question. I hope this one isn't a little bit too tricky or put you on the spot. But, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of your of your book, Control-Alt-Delete, I kind of, you know, it kind of got me a little bit emotional, like, yes, yes. But I got to tell you, by the time I got to the end, I felt like I was almost crying, like overwhelmed because, you know, the life that we live in now it is so complex. And I appreciate, you know, how you talk about a one screen strategy and uh, not not for not for people in their marketing strategy to get so divided. Oh, this is what we're going to be on Facebook. And just like what you just talked about, being a different persona in different places, uh, you know, you you basically brought in the idea of, no, we need to have a strategy and we need to understand that it's not linear thinking anymore. There's not, I think the way you kind of put it was, you know, the sales funnel, let go of it. It does not exist anymore as you think it exists. It's very circular. It's very complex. Um, but in that complexity, what would you say to people who are not really feel that they have the ability in technology to keep current? I'm, I'm, that's my question. Let me kind of rephrase this a little bit. Just like how I, I mentioned that, you know, one thing I think you have in common with Gary Vee is that you guys were on the forefront of, you know, web. You guys were on the forefront of, video, of blogging. You were on the forefront, you know, and now there are very different, you know, fronts. Is, do you think it's becoming more important to be on that technical digital world, or do you think it's not any different? It's just different technology. What what would you say to that about the technology place in digital media marketing right now? I feel like sort of what I said earlier, the technology has removed technology from technology. And it's like saying, are you uh, an agency that works with electricity or without electricity. It's like, it's almost like a service. <laughs> like, I don't it. look at it, it like there's this sort of, again, this massive line between, even if you're doing traditional type of advertising, 30 second spots, direct mail, flyers, 
all of that is still driven by technology and the software behind it, whether it's in the uh, creation of it, development of it, production of it, deployment of it, media of it is all techie. Right. And, and that techie isn't complex or we need more uh, we need more square footage for it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's sort of li- it's living in the cloud as well. So I, I don't really feel like that's. I feel like that can't be the stumbling block. If you're resistant to your organization being enabled by technology, you're going to be resistant to having any form of growth. Excellent, excellent. Well, Mitch, I have uh, about 18 million other questions for you, but our time is 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 run out. My producer, I would like to say, is really going to be happy that you mentioned anthrax in this. So, oh, you know, I'll give you a thank you from him. But so the the book, it, you know, is one thing. But I've I've loved keeping current with you on the blog on Six Pixels of Separation on the podcast. I'd highly recommend the podcast, guys. Go out and subscribe to it. It's just fresh ideas, great conversations. You get to be a fly on the wall in places you never thought you would get to, um, you know, hear such great uh, thought leadership. But I, I hate to drop the bomb on you, but is there another book in the works? Or is there, a, do you have another idea that's just burning, you know, a hole in your pocket? I always wanted to write a book and I was really blown away by the enthusiasm of my literary agent in, in New York back in 2008 for Six Pixels of Separation, which came out in 2009. I was very enthused and very flattered by getting my book deal with Hachette, Grand Central Publishing, one of the largest book publishers in the world. It was really, really amazing. Controlled Lee came out in 2013. It was it was sort of a very good connection point between the two books. I felt like a lot had changed and there was a sort right. of new thing happening. I'm in all that I've never stopped writing. So if if people are like, you know, when's the next book? I'm like, there is probably 18 books worth of content. If all <laughs> you do sure. is go to the end of Control Alt Delete in 2013 and look at all the content I've created since then, right. you'll just see, you know, go to MitchJoel.com or on Medium or Facebook or LinkedIn. I sort of publish natively on all the platforms and try and get it out there as much as possible. The answer is, of course, there's another book coming and it'll it'll come when it comes. Uh-huh. I jokingly tell people that while I am of the male persuasion, I have a very female approach to books, which is my water has to break. And right. when my water breaks, <laughs> the baby will come. Until the water breaks, I, I, I'm currently not pregnant. Right. Um, but but it, yeah, there will be another book and probably many after that. But I don't let the book be the sort of anchor anymore. I, I was right. always a writer. I was always a journalist. I'm much more about articles and content. Mm-hmm. And so so don't let there not being a third book or a second book or one book stop you. There's so much content that I'm happy to share and would love feedback on. So just check that out for now. And You'll, everyone will be the first to know when the water breaks, for right. sure. I love You'll it. You'll hear me yell. <laughs> well, we know how to reach you, you know, at, um, from the agency to all the things, kind of you said, technology without technology. We know how to find you if we want to find you. But um, you do a lot of private talking. What are the keynotes that are coming up that people could um, could attend, more public uh, uh, events where you're going to be featured this year? Uh, that's a great question. I don't have my agenda in front of me. I'm probably booked almost 20 times already for the year, so I'm probably halfway through the bookings. Most of them are traditionally private, but I will be at places like Content Marketing World. Yeah. I will be at places like Social Media Marketing World. I'm confirmed for both of those for sure. 
Um, and yeah, just, you know, if you follow me, you'll, you'll see me blabbing about stuff where people are more than welcome to show up to. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. I know that my my listeners will have a lot more <laughs> other questions that'll pop up. So, listeners, just feel free to um, post it on our on our website, on our Facebook page. Let us know how much you enjoyed uh, this podcast with uh, Mitch Joel, and please go um, follow him on his blog, Six Pixels of Separation. Obviously, you can follow him on uh, on his LinkedIn posts. They're they're always uh, something new, and uh, like I said, if you're a lover of the long format. You're going to love this well-carved, uh, well-honed ideas carved out with some really, really great literary expertise. I love it. Love it. Mitch, Joel, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This is Priscilla McKinney for Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast, saying have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.